Joe, you're about to see one of the many reasons why the White House staff is terrified when Joe goes off script and just talks. What's your message to platforms like Facebook? They're killing people. I mean, it really, look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated. And, that, and, they're, and they're killing people. Wow. I mean, they're killing people? Go easy, Joe. Facebook helped you get elected. And you know what? He says Facebook is killing people. Think about Donald Trump. Hey, he only said the media were the enemy of the people. He never accused them of killing anybody. Well, of course, Joe went too far, and today he had to walk it back. Facebook isn't killing people. These 12 people are out there giving misinformation. Anyone listening to it is getting hurt by it. It's killing people. It's bad information. My hope is that Facebook, instead of taking it personally, that somehow I'm saying Facebook is killing people, that they would do something about the misinformation. There goes Facebook again, taking it personally. I mean, after all, Joe did say <laughs> they're killing people. Uh, again, I think actually it's cozier than it looks between Joe and big tech. Um, but remember this, as far as misinformation, the only people who can put out misinformation are Democrats and the media, especially during an election year. Let's just say there's a vaccine that is approved and even distributed before the election. Would you get it? Well, I think that's going to be an issue for all of us. If and when the vaccine comes, it's not likely to go through all the tests that needs to be and the trials that are needed to be done. When we finally do, God willing, get a vaccine, who's going to take the shot? Who's going to take the shot? You can be the first one to say, put me, sign me up. They now say it's OK. But if Donald Trump tells us I should that we should take it, I'm not taking it. Well, she did take it under Donald Trump. She did before she became vice president during the transition. Um, that sounds awfully political. All of them. Were they listening to the uh, scientists? Anyway, now they're in power. And now they're being very, very careful with the information. What they label misinformation, disinformation, really, basically, whatever they say is legit. If anybody else says it, it's misinformation. Modern technology companies have enabled misinformation to poison our information environment with little accountability to their users. From the White House podium, this guy, Barack Obama's Surgeon General, now Joe Biden, formerly his uh, aide during the campaign, talking about how families, you, social media, can fight misinformation. Take a look at this mission statement. It's on a government website right now. We all have to work against Misinformation. But this is a very political guy. Very, very political. Take a look. I know it's not typical for a former Surgeon General to speak at a convention. Surgeons General are appointed by presidents, but our work isn't about politics. Our highest duty is to the public. Our true guide is science. And our job is to speak the truth about public health, even when it's controversial or perceived as political perceived as political. It's not really political. I'm just perceiving it as political. There he is at the DNC. And um, well, here he is during the campaign, undermining President Trump every step of the way. Now, why was he doing this? 
The president suggested we could see that successful vaccine by Election Day, that it wouldn't hurt his chances against Joe Biden. Now, you're the former Surgeon General. What's your reaction to that kind of projection and the apparent politicization of such an important issue? Well, thanks, Wolf. It's good to be with you today. You know, I think when it comes to a vaccine, all of us are hoping that we will get a vaccine that's safe and effective as soon as possible. But I think it's very dangerous at this point to give specific dates. That was in August of last year. He is saying it is dangerous that the president was hoping, urging to get a vaccine as soon as possible, maybe even before the election. And you know what? He came pretty darn close. This guy is calling that dangerous. And here he is pretending he's not political. Um, one more. We have seen at times people like Tony Fauci and Dr. Redfield stood up and made important points about masks that have been then contradicted by the president. And the challenge is that we need more people to be doing that. And we need people to be doing that more consistently. Um, this is an, a very unusual situation where we have seen a divergence, a sustained and disturbing divergence between what scientists are saying and what politicians are saying. Well, you mentioned Dr. Fauci, and yes, there were differences between him and Donald Trump. We saw it. And we also saw Dr. Fauci being wrong and contradicting himself and not following his own guidelines, huh? Right there. I'll never forget this image. I'll never forget when he said, don't wear masks. And then when I, he said, wear three masks, he's been all over the place. It is acceptable, perfectly acceptable for us. We're adults to talk about this stuff without somebody like him minding our Facebook posts because he's wrong a lot. Fauci, yes, but this uh, Surgeon General fellow. Even in an optimistic scenario, it would likely be closer to mid uh, 2021 uh, that we would see vaccines starting to be distributed at scale. And if we think about how long it would take for that vaccine to actually make it uh, to everyone in the population, we would need to, you know, the question is, is there a chance we could do this all and vaccinate 70% of the population uh, by the end of 2021? I think it would take the best vaccination campaign that we've ever assembled uh, in the history of the world to do that. Um, could it be done? Well, there's a first time for everything. He was a doubter, he was a naysayer, and guess what? We got the vaccine to scale way before the middle of this year, way before the middle of this year. We are adults in this country. We can handle it. We can discuss things. You know, doctors, scientists often disagree with each other, right? This is America. You can get a second opinion. That's okay. But this man, as political as they come, is urging social media to monitor our posts. They're really doing this, and it's kind of crazy especially when advice comes down like this, because I think this is, is debatable. Take a look at this uh, headline, if you would, from the American Academy of Pediatrics. All students older than two years and all school staff should wear face masks at school unless medical or developmental conditions prohibit use. This is their, these are the latest guidelines from the AAP, CDC, not yet saying it, but who knows? This is debatable. We're going to have a conversation about that. And I'm allowed to raise questions about this on text messaging and on Facebook. And we shouldn't be canceled or monitored or have our followers uh, limited. And that's happened before. Hunter Biden. It was a bombshell of a story. Remember this? Yeah, there he is. Um, the laptop. That's a real story. 
and it has not been debunked. And when the New York Post came out with an incredible series about the Biden secret emails, what did big tech do? They called it misinformation and they silenced it. They limited it. I'll never, I'll never, I'll never get over that. Um, big tech was working against Donald Trump. Uh, the media, everybody, uh, behind the scenes, on their computers, with their codes, and sometimes right out in the open, and it seemed like nobody could do anything about it. Like a lot of people we know at home had a drug problem. He's overtaken it. He's, he's, he's fixed it. He's worked on it. And I'm proud of him. But why was he given tens son. of millions right. of dollars? But he wasn't given right. tens of millions of dollars. That is totally, that's been totally discredited. We've already been totally discredited. We've, both, we've already been through this. I think the American people would rather hear about more substantial so subjects. Well, you know, yes. as the moderator, sir, I'm going to make a, know, a judgment call here. I know, but when somebody gets $3.5 million, okay, million dollars right. from the let's mayor about, of Moscow, let's that talk is about not it's true. true. Gentlemen, that report is totally discredited. I, I, I Mitt think, Romney on that committee said it wasn't worth taxpayers' that, money, that report. It was written for political you, reasons. You know, I'd like to talk about climate change. So would I. And they did. They switched topics. Hunter Biden, alleged corruption, unbelievably scandalous emails, censored by big tech and censored by Wallace. Amazing, amazing. They're not going to censor me. They're trying. They try, they're trying in big ways and small. Are you up for the fight? I am. Folks, stay with us. Uh, the first January 6th protester has been sentenced to eight months in jail. We'll meet his lawyers next. We need more than a fox to guard the liberal media. Turn to the smart, conservative news that you can trust. Newsmax. Real news for real people. Newsmax cuts through the noise to deliver the inside look and breaking stories you can trust. No bias, no BS. Unintimidated and unafraid. Every minute, every day. Don't get outfoxed. Get the facts. Newsmax. Real news for real people. Have you checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson? You get daily news, insightful commentary, and believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. All I can say is that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? They don't get it, but they are swooning right now about Sports Illustrated. Who remembers the swimsuit edition, right? When we were kids, it was a big deal, you know? Wow. Uh, these days, not so much. If you want to see women in bathing suits, quite frankly, you have a lot of options. So how is Sports Illustrated going to keep interest up? By the way, it's six months early, right? It usually comes out in the wintertime. Uh, well, they let us know who the main model is. Let's put her up on the screen. Lena Bloom is her name. All right? Lena Bloom. So what do you think? Uh, there's something different, right? There is something a little bit different here. First of all, I never heard of her. Secondly, well, what's up? Let's take a look, shall we? From Sports Illustrated, Lena makes history yet again as the first transgender cover model in Sports Illustrated swimsuit history and the first trans person of color to appear on our pages. Wow. They call that history, huh? I don't know. 
couple of things might be going on here. Nobody really talks about Sports Illustrated anymore, so they want to be new and different, and they want to capture our attention, or maybe they're just furthering the agenda of the hard, woke, elite left by pushing transgender stuff down our throats. They are fixated, they are obsessed, and this is all they seem to, to care about. Now, she's not the only one on the cover. There's another piece of work. Let's take a look at her. This is Megan the Stallion. Now, I was taken aback because, I mean, I don't want to sound, look, uh, she's, quite frankly, slightly overweight to be on that. I mean, a little bit, right? I, hey, I'm overweight too, believe me. Uh, so who is she? She's a singer, and she sings some of the most vulgar lyrics you can imagine. I mean, really, really bad. She was on the Grammys last year. Anyway, they, whatever happened to the days of the supermodel? I mean, can you believe it? Now it's like nostalgic. Now it's so wholesome and sweet. I like the days Sports Illustrated featured people like Cheryl Teagues. Huh? Remember this? Cheryl Teagues. One of the first ever supermodels, I think. Next up, Paulina Partskova. I had a serious thing for her. She later married the guy who sang in the cars. May he rest in peace. And, of course, Tyra Banks. Another ultra hottie. I think I'm allowed to say that. So, what does it mean? Uh, I don't know, but I think, quite frankly, it's unnecessary. And we're having a silly conversation nationally about an issue that genuinely affects very, very few people. All right. Now this. I was on JetBlue a couple of weeks ago, and you know everywhere they have the television. You can watch TV on planes. And I caught this commercial. It was regular TV. It was on regular television. And it was from a city agency, the Human Rights Commission, right here in New York. Our taxpayer dollars, well, we pay for this. Hi, Carmelyn P. Malala's here, Chair and Commissioner of the New York City Commission on Human Rights. If you or someone you know has faced discrimination or harassment based on race, gender, religion, disability, immigration status, or for any other reason, your city will stand up for you. Discrimination and harassment are illegal in housing, at work, and in all public places. Your rights are protected no matter who you are. Contact us to report discrimination. The New York City Commission on Human Rights. Did you notice anything? Did you notice anything? Let's go through it, shall we? The people who were kicked out of the uh, rental apartment. Who was the nasty landlord? Yeah. A white man, a white person seems to be the villain in all of these scenarios. Uh, next up, the store that was inhospitable to uh, Muslims. I see back there, hmm, two white women, potentially. Two white women, uh, the blonde, they're very upset that there is a Muslim person in the store. This is New York City, by the way. I mean, this is about the most tolerant, open, diverse place in the world. They're highlighting a problem that they want to be a problem that isn't a problem. How about this? The boss chewing out the person of color. The boss, yes, is a white man. And then they have that final picture where everybody is having a great moment together, right? And I went through it. I went through it. As far as I can tell, um, none of these people, how do they say it, look like me. But I thought the commission was supposed to be the Human Rights Commission, the Commission on Human Rights. I'm a human being, right? I mean, I know I'm Caucasian and uh, straight and uh, Christian, and uh, but don't we count too? Maybe not. 
All right, I want to introduce you to a lawmaker from Minnesota, John Thompson. He is a uh, state representative in Minnesota, and he had a little altercation with the police. He got a ticket. Um, I guess he was driving with a suspended license and uh, uh, may have been speeding. I'm not sure, but he got a ticket. Happens to me. It's happened to me about a half dozen times at least. He did not like what happened at all. Nobody does, but listen to what he said about it. I'm too old to run from the police, man. You profiled me because you looked me dead in the face and I got a ticket for driving while black. You pulled me over because you saw a black face in this car, brother, and you and I went, there's no way in here I'm taking off with you behind me. You looked at me in this car, you looked in this car and busted you turn and got behind my car. And that's the reason why you I know, I know, but what I'm saying is what you're doing is wrong to black men. And you need to stop that. Thank you so much. But this ticket means nothing to me. No, no, no. no. I'm going to always have a great day. What I'm saying to you is stop racially profiling black men in their cars, sir. Stop doing that. Yes, you were. This is what cops have to deal with now all the time during interactions with people who might look different. Uh, And it's really sad because it's artificial and artificial conversation that the media has driven. Now, this guy... Uh, well, he's being praised by his uh, Democrat allies, uh, people in the, on the far left. Take a look. I am here to stand in solidarity with community leaders who are standing in solidarity with John Thompson. Republicans in the legislature, some of the Democrats in the legislature, and even the media would have us be outraged because John Thompson has some issue with his driver's license or something like that. Frankly, I don't care. John Thompson stands with our families. He stands with Valerie Castile, where her son was shot in the car in cold blood on Facebook Live. John Thompson stands with the rest of our families that are out here hurting and suffering in the community in which you guys serve, Todd Axtell. And to Maya Goffrey, you put that article about my brother in that newspaper, and enough is enough. You guys will not continue to attack our black men. Well, all right. Um, I would not stand too closely to John Thompson on this issue or any other uh, because, well, talk about a piece of work. Here he is uh, shortly before he was elected. I guess he's campaigning at this point uh, sometime last year. Don't run now, racist white people. I'm here. Oh, yeah, we pull up. How quickly would they cancel a white guy saying horrible racist things like that? <laughs> and people are standing with this fellow. You saw how the cops, uh, cops were very respectful. He's got a massive chip on his shoulder, obviously. Uh, here's another clip of him having a, it's not a bad day. It seems to be his M.O. Representative Thompson, just some questions about your residency. Are you currently living in your district? Did you live there at the time you were elected? So here's the deal. He's, um, he's got a legal issue on his hand. He is accused of assaulting a former girlfriend. And that has nothing to do with the motor vehicle problem. But these are the types of people that the far left are rallying around, and they automatically oppose the cops. This is a trend. The media's helped fuel it. 
I'll never forget bad Lieutenant Nazario when, when this guy got pulled over from the cops and op openly disobeyed. And you won't believe what happens next. How many occupants are in the vehicle? What's going on? How many occupants are in your vehicle? It's only myself. Why are your weapons drawn? What's going on? Open the door slowly. Step out. Open the door. I'm not getting out the vehicle. What's going on? Get out the car. Open the door slowly and get out. What's going on? This is a lieutenant in the Army who has evaded cops. He went, uh, the cops were on a slow speed chase for a couple of miles. He didn't pull over right away. You can see right there, he's pretending he's clueless. He's not cooperating. Um, here's the Army's reaction to his antics. Like many of you, I was concerned by the video of Lieutenant Nazario's traffic stop in December. He represented himself and our Army well through his calm, professional response to the situation. I'm very proud of him. The United States Army is very proud of a soldier who disobeys lawful orders from police and puts himself and those officers at grave risk. This is the world we're living in, and it's totally, totally insane. Here's a ray of hope, though. In Cuba, the protests continue, and um, they don't like the situation there under how long has it been? 60, almost 70 years of communist rule. They have had enough. An amazing video emerged over the weekend. You know who's been in their corner? Uh, the Cubans for, well, almost 25 years at least, Donald Trump. And he was great to that community way before he asked for anyone's vote. I've gotten to know and become friends with a lot of people today, a lot of great people, a lot of people with tremendous spirit. I've learned a tremendous amount. Jorge has taken me to more, I have met more Cubans than I knew existed. <laughs> and they are great people. And now I'm friends, and I'm gonna be here whenever you need me. And the spirit of the Cuban people is beyond any spirit that I've seen by any people. And I've been watching it for a long time. Castro's jails are full of dissidents. His graveyards are full of patriots, and his government is full of thugs. He's a murderer, he's a killer, he's a bad guy in every respect, and he will come down. He will tumble down, and it'll finally happen. Things can change. I believe that you will have victory. I believe you'll have victory sooner rather than later. Things can turn around, and they can turn around very rapidly. If I could meet Castro right now, I'd have personally two words. Adios, amigo. I've had a lot of offers to go into Cuba on deals, business deals, real estate and other deals. And I've rejected them on the basis that I will go when Cuba's free. You will win. You are going to win. And I'm going to be down here and I'm going to watch you win. I don't know what capacity I'll be. I'll either be the greatest developer in the country or the greatest president that you've had in a long time. I'm not sure. 
I just want to end by saying, via Candidas, folks. We'll see you very soon. Thank you very much. Terrific people. Thank you. 1999. 1999. Magic, huh? Awesome. Uh, folks, it's one of the reasons why I like him. He was there for communities before he was asking for their vote, way before. And now this. Black lives do matter, not the way the Black Lives Matter movement says. They only care when a black life is taken by a white cop. Black lives matter. All lives matter. The life of six-year-old, six-year-old Naya Courtney mattered. She was shot and killed Friday night in Washington. She was waiting for a bus with her mother outside a convenience store. A car drove by, and someone inside sprayed the entire block almost with bullets. You can see the flashes coming from that vehicle. That's, that's, the, that's the gunfire right there. You see the flashing? Police are saying they found the suspect's car shortly after, burned beyond recognition. Now, Naya was in first grade. She was actually set to start the first grade next year. I'm sorry. And there's this. We all uh, in the government, of course, are going to ask ourselves... What else can we do? What more can we do? What different programs? But at the end of the day, we're going to have to exercise some community responsibility for each other. Naya was killed. Somebody else could be killed tonight. Somebody else could be killed the next night. Because too many people are willing to use guns to solve whatever conflict there may be. Mayor Bowser, uh, I hope you can do something finally for your community. Several of the other victims were also children. All survived, though. So far, no, no arrests. There is a $60,000 reward for any tip that leads to an arrest in this case. Again, Naya Courtney, just six years old, set to start first grade next year, killed in a drive-by shooting in Washington, D.C. Friday night. I'll be right back. You are looking at Paul Hodgkins. He's 38 years old from Florida, and there he is on the floor of the United States Senate on January 6th. He got in big trouble, and today a judge sentenced him to eight months in prison for one count, a felony count, of obstructing a government proceeding. He faced up to 20 years. Um, nobody saw him breaking anything, though, and no one saw him hurting anybody. But he's going to be in jail for some time, and he may have already served in jail for some time. I want to bring in his attorney, Patrick LeDuc. Uh, welcome back, sir. Uh, number one, has your client been in custody ever since January 6th? No, he, uh, he, he was never taken into custody other than the day he was arrested. And then after that, he was released uh, and monitored. He had an ankle monitor. What day was he arrested? Uh, it's a good question. It was mid-February. I don't have the exact date. You know, uh, it's interesting. And by the way, great lawyering. I mean, he didn't he wasn't engaged in violence as far as we saw. Uh, he's on the floor there. He was in jail just for a short time. But there are others who are still in federal custody. And I say this respectfully and with admiration. What makes your client different? Well, I think, you know, there's a number of things. He had no prior record, like you mentioned at the top, that he wasn't involved in any violence or any property damage. He went there by himself. He 
want he followed the crowd into the Capitol like the uh, lady who took the misdemeanor a couple of weeks ago, got 36 months probation. She wandered in and found herself in the rotunda. Paul followed the crowd in, and this was around 2.50, which was about an hour after the, the Senate and the House of Representatives began to uh, leave the, the chambers. And he, he wandered in and found himself on the floor what of the is? Senate, as you're showing, and was in the building about uh, 20 minutes, give or take, uh, on the floor of the Senate, between five and 10 minutes at most. Let me ask you something, if you don't mind. I, I have to jump no. in. There's a picture Sorry. up here, and something is circled. Your client seems to be holding something. Let's advance to that picture, if you don't mind. What is that, and why is it circled? You know, I this is there are just things in life that make me go just wonder. Those are those are latex gloves. Paul was an Eagle Scout, and he had a first aid kit. And that gentleman standing in front of him was bleeding out of his cheek. He, apparently, he'd gotten shot by a rubber bullet, and Paul was attempting to help that young man and was going to render first aid. The gentleman begged off. And so Paul put his gloves on and was going to render first aid and he didn't want it. He took them off. And that was the end of that. But for the longest period of time, they were so cynical about it. It took a long time to kind of convince them otherwise that, you know, they, why was he wearing the gloves? Was he going to rustle through everybody's papers? Because yeah. a lot of the people on that Senate floor were doing some things with people's personal items that they shouldn't have. All right. So you actually put a letter in. You submitted a letter and you wrote this. Whatever punishment this court may provide will pale in comparison to the scarlet letter Mr. Hodgkins will bear uh, for the rest of his life. And I think you imply or let me ask you, you're not implying uh, shame here. I mean, this is obviously it's a it's a felony conviction that he'll have and it'll be on his record. Um, but as we said, he didn't break anything. And we saw pictures of cops letting folks in to the Capitol. We saw another picture where it seemed like Capitol Hill police just outside the Senate chamber were more or less escorting people inside. So how does he feel overall about what he's done? I think this issue of shame is an interesting one you put up. That's the way the country's treating one another. My, my entire sentencing memor memorandum that you quoted you know, I, I referenced Lincoln's uh, second inaugural address where he talked about with malice towards none and charity to all. We live in a society today that doesn't understand grace. You know, about 70 percent of the country will claim to be Christian, but really about 10 percent take take biblical Christianity seriously. And, and about 10 percent of the country understand what it's what it means to receive grace, heavenly grace. And because they've received forgiveness, they're able to give it. But we live in a country today that's a bunch of stone throwers. And we live in a cancel culture where everybody looks to cancel one another. And because people haven't received grace, they can't give it. And so this issue of shame that you bring forth is, is exactly what the point is. There are a large percentage of Americans who will, without any, any sense of their own sinfulness or hypocrisy, will cast stones in Paul's direction because he did this. And the problem is, is people don't understand that we're all going to count. We're all going to, you know, we're all going to stand before a heavenly judge to be to be judged and give him an account. And how we treat others is how we're going to be held to account in that situation. People have not received vertical grace and they can't give it horizontally. And, and so that's the problem we have in this country today is we, we're a bunch of Americans seeking to cancel one another out. We're not willing to give forgiveness. And when Lincoln said in the second inaugural address, 
with malice towards none, with charity towards all, after a civil war where 700,000 people or upwards of that had been killed. Lincoln understood that to heal the country required forgiveness. Now, the requisite of forgiveness is acceptance of responsibility, to say, hey, I'm sorry, you know, I'm seeking forgiveness. But when a person does that, that means that we, as Americans, should give grace and should give forgiveness. And that was part of the point I was trying to make yeah. in today's arguments in my sentencing memorandum. Paul, I love what you just said, uh, really. Uh, by the way, you know who's the chief stone thrower these days, it seems like? The president of the United States. Uh, he could be showing... He could be showing mercy. He could be showing a lot of things that we're not seeing from him. Very quickly before we go, do you know anything about the Horns guy? He's still in custody. He's been in custody, unlike your client, ever since that day or shortly thereafter. Oh. Like your client, I didn't see him hurt anybody. I didn't see him damage anything. But he's still in jail. It sounds outrageous. And yeah. just your, your, your observations, your insight, if you're at all familiar. You'll have to forgive me. I, I, I don't. Um, I think Paul was uh, really it was Paul was this interesting test case of a person that and like the woman in the rotunda, you know, how do we treat a person on the Senate versus a person in the rotunda? And I think Judge Moss was was struggling with that. His Senate, you know, the United States wanted him to have 18 months. I wanted him to have, you know, uh, basically house arrest, yeah. which is no climate. And the judge split the difference. So. Uh, I can't complain about the sentence. It's not everything I wanted, but I think the judge was closer to me. And I appreciate the fact that the judge seemed to appear. You know, I, I objected pretty vociferously about the labeling of this as a domestic uh, terrorism. Yeah. It, it was not. It was a protest that turned into a riot. It I was understand. unacceptable. I, we are out of time, and I need five more Sorry. seconds, if you don't mind. This Judge Moss. Will he be deciding all of the sentences in this case? Is no. He, no, he's not. Okay, no. very good. Just, uh, well, your client is the first, and uh, eight months in jail, starting, I guess, right about now, more or less. Uh, keep in touch. Patrick LeDuc, attorney for Paul Hodgkins, we appreciate it so much. To be continued, sir, and we'll be right back. It's our America. We built it. Courage. Freedom. Millions go to Newsmax when they need to know. Start today on the free Newsmax app. Newsmax is real news for real people. You know what? Not only do I miss uh, President Trump, but I also miss his coronavirus task force. Uh, they were great. Some exceptions. But you're looking at the podium right there. That's Admiral Brett Giroir, former Assistant Secretary for Health, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and a star member of that coronavirus task force. He joins us once again. Welcome back to Newsmax, sir. How are you? I'm doing great, and it's great to be back with you. Sir, there's a lot going on regarding coronavirus. There. Um, I want to start real quick, though, if you don't mind, with those Texas lawmakers famously seen on that plane on their way to Washington, D.C., all maskless, and we're all told to wear masks still on the plane. You know that. The vice president may or may not have been exposed. She had to go to the hospital. And it calls to mind when they had that so-called super spreader event at the White House and everybody lost their minds. Um, your overall thoughts on how where we are right now and how all of this is being covered, if you don't mind. Well, there's there's a lot of information there. Certainly, I was uh, a little bit surprised and shocked to see the state uh, 
of Texas Democratic lawmakers on that charter flight without a mask. You know, it uh, just looks like garden variety hypocrisy to me. Uh, the CDC clearly makes me wear a mask even though I'm vaccinated on uh, commercial flights. Um, and if that's true, they should have been wearing a mask on that charter flight. Just being a Democratic legislature fleeing your responsibility does not mean you're immune from the virus. And I think we saw the consequences of that. Uh, I would be concerned for Vice President Harris. I'm assuming that she is vaccinated. Uh, that is not a 100% guarantee, but she is the second most important and influential person in the world, powerful person in the world, who speaks to a very vulnerable individual on a daily basis because of his age being President Biden. So if I were her, I'd probably take a couple tests just to make sure I don't have it. Joe Biden, as you know, on Friday said Facebook is killing people. Um, and then today he kind of walked that back. I said he was surprised that they took it so personally. Actually, let me play you this. Uh, stand by for a moment, Admiral. What's your message to platforms like Facebook? They're killing people. I mean, it really, they are, look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated. And, that, and, they're, and they're killing people. Facebook isn't killing people. These 12 people are out there giving misinformation. Anyone listening to it is getting hurt by it. It's killing people. It's bad information. My hope is that Facebook, instead of taking it personally, that somehow I'm saying Facebook is killing people, that they would do something about the misinformation. All right, so he's kind of all over the map there. So much, there were so many complaints from the fake news. Uh, about messaging from the Trump administration, which I thought was pretty consistent, actually. Um, here, the message is all over the place. How would you characterize the messaging about the situation and vaccinations from this administration so far? I, I think the messaging, messaging has been a complete ball of confusion, and you just heard some of those examples right now. I want to be very clear that the vaccines that are authorized in the United States are very effective, well over 90% effective at preventing disease and over 95% effective at pre preventing hospitalizations and deaths. So I would encourage people that if you can get the vaccine to please do so. But what the Biden administration's doing is just really perplexing. First of all, they've never shown at all or even stated or even asserted how many people are not getting vaccinated because of this, quote, misinformation? They just kind of assume that's the reason, not their own failed policies or failed communication to the American people. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I do agree. There are Russian trolls and bots and Chinese misinformation campaigns. Take those off the web. Uh, censor those because that's deliberate misinformation against the American people. But as far as vaccine information goes, I believe in Justice Brandeis. We should uh, uh, remedy the situation by more speech, not enforced silence. And if the Biden administration believes that taking information off the web is going to make people feel more confident in getting vaccines and more confident in the government, they're completely wrong. I think this is going to backfire completely. Um, it's the wrong policy. I think it's an excuse for a failed vaccination uh, campaign and strategy. And it's clearly shifting from where the focus should be. We heard everything about equity, 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 which is important. But where the Biden administration is failing is in the African-American community. They're at least 25 to 30 percent underrepresented in vaccines and those with high social vulnerability, meaning the poor. 
I don't think they're uh, missing their vaccines because of something on Facebook. Yeah. It's something much more deeper, and the Biden administration needs to engage that, not run from it or make excuses. It's wild to me that a physician, the Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, is standing there at the White House podium talking about misinformation in Facebook and how to report on Facebook and that kind of thing. Very quickly, sir, if you don't mind, um, the Association of American Pediatrics or the American Association of Pediatrics are coming out with an advisory uh, mass for everybody over the age of two. And uh, just real quickly, your thoughts on that uh, for those actually even if you're vaccinated or not vaccinated. Well, I'm a pediatrician and I disagree with this completely. First of all, if a child is vaccinated, we should follow the science as the CDC says it. Um, and you don't need a mask. Remember, the WHO, the World Health Organization, says children under five should not wear a mask at all because it's counterproductive to their development. And I do believe that children between six and 11 should only be in situations where it really calls for it. So I disagree with the AAP. I, I admire and respect the organization. I'm a pediatrician, but I think this is the wrong call and it's gonna cause more harm to children moving forward. Let's go with the science. If you're vaccinated, you don't need a mask. If you're a child and can maintain some safe distancing, you don't need a mask. Uh, and you're really uh, at very, very low risk uh, of consequences for your infection. So um, I, I disagree with that. I think we should follow what the CDC is telling us on this occasion. Admiral Brejuar, you are missed. And thank you for being back on Newsmax. All the best. You're welcome. Thank you. You bet. We'll be right back. Have you heard about Los Angeles? A mandatory mask order in effect for pretty much everybody, everybody in Los Angeles. Although not everybody in Los Angeles County is down with this, especially the sheriff, uh, Sheriff Alex Villanueva, friend of Newsmax. Uh, take a look at his statement on this. Forcing the vaccinated and those who already contracted COVID-19 to wear masks indoors is not backed by science and contradicts the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Guidelines. He's right. The sheriff is right. The Los Angeles County Department of Public Health has authority to enforce the order, but the underfunded, defunded Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department will not expend our limited resources and instead ask for voluntary compliance. We encourage the DPH to work collaboratively with the Board of Supervisors and law enforcement to establish mandates that are both achievable and supported by science. And uh, you know who I blame for this confusion? Fauci, totally Fauci. He's been all over the place since the very beginning, and he still is today. Remember this? People should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. If you have a physical covering with one layer, you put another layer on, it just makes common sense that it likely would be more effective. No masks, two masks. And for Fauci... Uh, he kind of doesn't sort of wear masks. <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget that when they invited him to throw out the ball. Whew. We'll be right back. Stand by for Cinchfield, and I'll see you tomorrow.